This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Mobile hunters, are you looking to make the move to saddle hunting this year? Or maybe you just want to add a few new pieces of gear or upgrade your current saddle gear. If that's the case, then head over to tetherednation.com where they've got all mobile hunters covered. Whether you're new to saddle hunting or an old timer, Tethered is your one-stop saddle shop. From saddles to ropes, sticks, ascenders, whatever it is you need, they have you covered. I've personally been using their gear for the past three seasons. Now my base setup consists of the Phantom Saddle and the Predator Platform. And if you're wondering why I've chosen to use their gear above all else, here's the cliff notes. They're innovative and pushing the mobile hunting forward overall. They cut no corners and prioritize the safety and performance of their gear. They care about the community that they've created, and their gear allows me to hunt free. And above all else, I like to support good people doing good work. If you're interested in upping your mobile hunting game, then head to tetherednation.com. This podcast is brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. Skull Brew Coffee roasts premium single-origin coffee, guaranteeing to deliver the freshest coffee directly to your doorstep. The kicker? They're 2% for conservation certified and donate 10% of their proceeds back to organizations who support the interests of our hunting community. So go to SkullBrewCoffee.com and pick up one of their three killer roasts and fuel your hunt and fill more tags with Skull Brew Coffee. Welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 216. Today I'm joined by Josh Elderton of The Untamed, and we're talking about ground hunting, big timber, and the mountains of West Virginia. So stay tuned. What is up, everyone? Happy Wednesday to you. Hope you are doing well. Hope you are feeling fine. Man, I would love to get my postseason scouting kicked off here, but uh, Mother Nature seems to have have a different story in, in, in mind for me. I've got about a foot of snow, and I'm looking out the window right now, and it is snowing again. I think we're getting another five inches. 
So I have no clue. Usually, man, I like to kind of kick off my my scouting in, in February and kind of get started. But um, and it's looking more and more like some of the places I wanted to go up into the mountains is probably going to be more of a March type thing because I know I got a foot here. We have some friends. My wife has some friends that live up in the area that I'm uh, thinking of going to do some scouting in the mountains, and they got two feet. So going to be real hard to look for sheds and real hard to find deer sign underneath um, two foot of snow. But the one thing I did get to do this weekend a little bit in the backyard, which was cool, is I got my tethered one sticks. Um, and if you guys are in the market for sticks and, and trying to check some stuff out, maybe for this up, upcoming season and not quite sure what you want to get, man, those things are are stupid light. Um, really kind of... <laughs> When you think about a stick weighing, you know, one pound or sub one sub one pound, um, you don't really realize how light that is until you get it in, until you get it in your hand. Um, you know, I I have modded sticks that I've used for the past two years that I that I cut down myself. They were lone wolf sticks that I had cut down and shortened them, and then I made a one stick which I haven't which I've, I used to hunt I think once where I took some of the pieces of the sticks that I that I had. And made a one stick for myself, and I thought that that thing was pretty light, man. Um, you know, but that thing has nothing on the the tethered one stick. So I got to play around with that a little bit, put it on a tree uh, in my backyard. Those things are super sweet. Um, the one thing I'm probably going to do is create one to use as a one stick for one sticking, and then I'm probably going to use a movable aider uh, to use two sticks um, if and when I have a second person with me, potentially, you know, someone filming or whatever whatever the case is. Uh, so I think that's probably my plan, but that was, that was just my little taste of hunting this past weekend as I got to play with some, with some new gear, which was, which was awesome. So if you're thinking about getting some sticks for this year, you're definitely going to going to want to head over to tethernation.com and check out, um, check out their new sticks. But with that, we're going to go ahead and just kind of get started, jump into today's podcast. Got a cool shirt for you guys today. <clears throat> this gentleman, is, his name is Josh Ilderton. I'm sure a lot of you've probably heard of him. If you haven't, uh, he is the the fellow that is on the untamed and runs the untamed YouTube channel. Um, so if you haven't checked that out, I would go to YouTube and search the untamed. They got killer hunting videos, bear videos, Turkey deer hunting, and a lot of it's done in the mountains of West Virginia. They do some out of state stuff as well. Um, but a lot of it's done in the mountains of West Virginia, rugged country. Um, but the thing that when I watched their videos and the thing that I always kind of dug about Josh is one man, I mean, they're houndsmen, you know, and they're just true, true outdoorsman. Um, Josh is a hell of a hunter. Um, but the thing that really kind of caught my attention when I was watching them was, you know, I've, I've fooled around a little bit with, with ground hunting this past year. And and the part that kind of maybe that I'm most challenged with is a lot of places that I hunt are thicker. I won't say that they're mountainous, but it's in, it's in timber. Right. Um, and when you think about ground hunting, a lot of times you'll think of, you know, hunting open spaces, you know, like Kansas, Oklahoma, things like that. And, and Josh is doing this in, in the big woods. And so in big wood settings where deer are hard to kind of find and get on in general. Um, and he's hunting from the ground in these areas and in, in, in West Virginia, where you've got big kind of where you've got larger mountains. Right. And so, you know, I'm always interested in guys that are able to hunt that use that style of hunting in those types of terrain. Um, especially big woods because it's there's two games you're going to play and we talk about it a little bit and I think you've probably heard Chad and I talk about it from our big wood, woods hunts. There's two games that you play in the big woods. It's find great terrain features that are going to f- you know move deer through certain areas, uh, but it's not going to happen super often because they've got a lot of ground to cover. Um, and so it's a sit and wait 
in a patience game, potentially, if you know you've got you're at the right spot, you just need to be there when the right deer is there. Um, or it's more along the lines of what Josh does, which is he just goes and finds them and puts on the miles um, and does true spot and stocks in the big woods. Um, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll kind of, he breaks it down a little bit when we talk about it. There's really kind of two styles that he takes from a ground hunting perspective. And, you know, it's the spot and stock style where he finds a deer somewhere and, you know, knows where he's at, or maybe, you know, I think the difference between maybe him and like some of the guys from like, maybe like the white tail, white tail adrenaline, like those guys are really looking for a visual and then go after a deer. Josh might just know that there's a deer there, um, from prior experience or from a past visual he had. Um, maybe trail camera data information or whatever. And that's what he's using, you know, sometimes to go after and get these deer. He may not have had a visual that day that always helps. Um, but it's true kind of, you know, and then he will kind of put eyes on it and then figure out what his game plan is going to be. Um, so it's hunting in the truest sense of the word. The other kind of option he'll use is like a, a ground setup ambush point where he knows a deer might be using a particular area and then set up on the ground to try to ambush him to kill him. Um, and so there's a couple different videos that they have on their channel that kind of show how he does, how he does both. And so he's just a hell of a hunter, a hell of a good dude, really fun to talk to. Um, and so I thought that this would be a really cool, uh, show for you guys. So without, without further ado, we're going to jump into today's episode with Josh Elderton. And as always, I want to thank you all for listening. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the truth from the stand deer hunting podcast. And today I've got quite the treat for you, uh, on the line with me on Skype with me. Is a gentleman that a lot of you guys probably are already aware of. Um, I've got Josh on from the Untamed. What's going on, brother? How are you? Hey, what's up, buddy? How are you doing this evening? Oh, I'm doing okay, man. You know, I'm off the work grind, so and thinking about deer hunting, so things are pointing in the right direction in this world. <laughs> well, I understand that we uh, we've slowed down the last couple of weeks and took took a break after yeah. the new year, and we're starting to get back into that grind of getting more and more content now yeah so we took a couple weeks off because our our grind through deer hunting and bear season and everything is it's just grueling yeah man i mean you guys pump out the content dude i mean it's it's just it, it seems and then soon soon here not too long you're going to be jumping right into turkey season too right yeah yeah so it will we will leave and take a trip out west uh to mountain lion hunt mm-hmm we're getting ready to leave. We'll probably leave in the next couple of weeks. Um, we'll continue to pump out our bear footage um, from this past season. Uh, over probably the next three or four months, we're, we're pretty backlogged because there's just a couple of us, and there's only one editor, mm-hmm. Kirk. So he does a really good job to to get the videos out. And then, you know, we started 21 off with, uh, we hit a hundred thousand subscribers on New Year's Day, so it's nice. pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, but then we had already committed to putting two videos out a week this year, so we're upping our content. So yeah, we're really under the gun, but trying to just grow and put more content out there and uh, have some fun. Yeah, man. I mean, the, the videos are great, dude. I I love. I forget exactly how I stumbled onto you guys. I forget how it even. I was just on. YouTube, I think you know what it was. To be truthful, I was looking. Uh-huh. To, I was looking to make a ghillie uh, a ghillie jacket, and I was online. <laughs> I was on YouTube trying to figure out how to because, you know, I'm uh, I've had Zach on the show. I know you and Zach are buddies. You know, okay, from from yeah, THP. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I've had him on a couple times, and we we were talking, and we traded some texts and stuff, and 
it's just that was one of the areas for me this year was to try to get better at ground hunting and stuff like that because it's just you know I, I've said to people I've walked by places that I've seen where I've been like man this would be a great spot to kill a good buck and there just wasn't any trees like to get into and I just I grew up still hunting you know most of my life I never got into an elevated setup until I was probably into my 30s but I never really hunted from the ground necessarily it was a lot right. of like gun hunting and stuff like that and it's just like a different art form and so like guys like Zach and um. Uh, uh, Zach, uh, I'm sorry, Jared Scheffler, those guys out in Wisconsin, you know, watching what they're doing, like, and how aggressive they are. I was like, man, I got to put this in my repertoire. So I was like, you know, I'm going to try to make me a ghillie, a ghillie jacket. And so I hopped on YouTube and was like, how to make a ghillie jacket. And you popped up. And I was like, yeah, I was like, all right, I'm going to watch this guy's video. And dude, you made a killer jacket. And uh, <laughs> I just didn't have the patience. I ended up buying one, man. I ain't going to lie. <laughs> well, I, I, I would, uh, I would recommend. There are just very few companies out there that are offering a good ghillie suit anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, that's why I made mine. The one I used in the video is a lightweight one. I, I wear it in the spring sometimes or in the early season in the fall. But then I've got a heavy-duty one that I've worn in some of the videos. But it is. It's time-consuming. Yeah. Uh, you'll, I mean, you'll have easy. If you build a good one, I mean, you're going to have 12 to 16 hours in it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, man. That, that's what yeah. I was kind of figuring out as I was watching you make this. And I looked at my wife <laughs> because I always take all these projects, man. Like this past summer, I built a DIY travel trailer out of a six by 10 cargo trailer that my grandma. Oh, yeah, I'm getting I, ready to do. Are you serious, man? I'll yeah. send you some, I'll send you some videos. You let me know yeah, if there's absolutely. any, if there's any information you need, man. Cause I did all kinds. It's all solar powered, like the whole jam. Absolutely. I will take any information you got on that. Yeah, we'll definitely, we'll definitely do that. But I took that on this summer and built it. It was awesome. Took it to Missouri, you know, and lived out of it for two weeks. Actually me and two other people lived out of it. Cause we were doing a, in Missouri, we were, uh, had my buddy uh zach with me he was filming for uh tethered we did like a tether some tethered videos oh. while we were out there and um and uh so three of us lived in that tiny trailer for for like the better part of two weeks so it was a cool. <laughs> yeah so it was a squeeze so i had that project going on and i was like i'm gonna make this ghillie ghillie jacket and my, <laughs> and my, my wife looks at me and she was like she's watching me watch the video and she knows how like impatient i am with certain things she's like She's like, you don't have the patience for that. And I was like, no, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And she was just like, no, nah. she's like, I want you to go buy one. She's like, cause I don't want to hear you complaining about this thing for two weeks. <laughs> yeah. So, so I ended up just, I got, it's a good one, man. It was a, a Rancho Safari one was what I ended up settling on. It was probably like the better one that I could find that I, that I thought would do the trick that would, that would last, wouldn't fall apart. So. And that's what, that's what Kirk wears. Oh, is it really? And, yeah. And they, it's been a, I think that that's about, you know, in my opinion, and we got nothing to do with them, but that's probably about the best ghillie suit, mm -hmm. uh, in the aftermarket. If you're going to buy one that you can find right now. Yeah. Um, most of the guys <clears throat> like Zach, the one he wears, that guy doesn't make them anymore. Yeah. Uh, I think that was called the Mark Anthony, if I'm not mistaken, cause I was looking is. for one of those. Yeah. It is. Yeah. And you can find them used sometimes. Yeah. On eBay, but they're, they're high. Yeah, that and I'm just wondering what kind of what kind of another man's funk am I going to be rolling around in? I put one of the. <laughs> it's going to be a lot. Yeah, <laughs> that's the truth, man. That's the truth. But they, but they work. Yeah, I mean, you know I'm a firm believer in them. Uh, I don't wear mine all the time, but you know I, I wear I wear it pretty consistently um, because they they do work. 
when did you when did you start really you know, I guess when did you throw ground and it might be whenever you were a kid I don't know when did you throw ground hunting into your into your repertoire like how did that kind of come about uh it, it wasn't when I was a kid um because I, I'd hunted you know my teenage years uh, you know and I was I've always liked to squirrel hunt mm-hmm and I always tie it back into squirrel hunting because I always hunted from squirrel to squirrel. Mm-hmm. You know, I never sat under a hickory tree and killed my limit. I'd always just ground hunt and hunt from squirrel to squirrel and try to figure it out. And But then I went, you know, I got out of hunting for a few years when I was in the Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. Uh, there just wasn't a lot of opportunities to hunt during that time period. But when I got out of the Marine Corps, I got hooked up with a guy and we're, you know, we're still buddies today. And, that fall, the first year I was out of the service, I got back into bow hunting. Like I was serious before I went in, like my adolescent years in high school, mm-hmm. but really had no direction. You know, I was just out there hunting and killing does and forkhorns, and I just like killing stuff and eating stuff. Right. Uh, just to be honest, I didn't care if it was a. All of them were trophies to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when I kind of took a different approach to it when i first got out of service and started and started hunting with keith because we turkey hunted that spring and he you know he he called in my first long beard for me you know i didn't kill my first long beard until i was i think i'd killed a couple of jakes in high school um but he called in my first long beard that that spring so we kind of hit it off and then <clears throat> he was he always ground hunted you know you'd always heard about uh, Keith ground hunting and so we started glassing and ground hunting you know I, you know I, that first fall I, I had a shitty pair of <laughs> binos <laughs> you know, they were probably like you know six by 24 or something stupid right glass a deer you know three four hundred yards away look you know it just looked like a cat a cow out there <laughs> <laughs> but it was an experience and, and it, you know I stuck with him and I watched him put a couple of stalks on and then it was uh mid-november and i killed my first deer on the ground uh what year was this it was in 99 99 okay yeah i got out of service that year that spring and uh and i killed my first good deer on the ground that year and been hunting that way ever since and i've killed a couple from uh, elevated position but most of the uh, majority, by far majority, probably 75% of the deer I've killed have been on the ground. Really? Yeah. So what to you, for you at least, you know, what is it? Um, I'm, I don't want to say what's the trick, right? Cause it's, it's not a trick, it, but what, in, in your opinion, what are the most critical aspects of, of having successful ground hunts? Uh, knowledge of the terrain. Mm-hmm. Being able to use the terrain to to your advantage as much as possible, mm-hmm. to be able to move, or if you're going to move on a deer, you know there, there are two different types of ground hunting. In my opinion, you, you're either going to act, do a true spot and stalk, or you're going to play ambush with them. Right, right. Um, Which ambush? So, I'm assuming would be similar to how you would set up like a saddle or whatever at a at a point where you want to intercept, but you're doing it from the ground and concealing yourself on the ground. Is that what you're? Well, and, but it's more real time. It's not like, right. 
will go ambush this deer because I've watched him for a couple of days. It's more like I see the deer right now, and I kind of know the 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 area, and the, or if I don't, I look at the topo and I go, man, I think this deer is going to go this direction mm-hmm. today. And you go there and see if you can cut him off. Right. Uh, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it don't, you know. Right. <laughs> sometimes but, you, you eat the I, bear, I, sometimes you eat you. I'm more of a see the deer and go after it. Right. You know, no matter what, if I bump him, I just keep on going after him. Right. Right. You know, I'll find I bump deer and they completely left out of my sight, but <clears throat> got back on the deer an hour later. Right. By just going to an area that I think he's going to, um, you know, a lot of people just give up and you can always stay on them if you just take a little time. And it, it, the big thing is, is knowledge of the, the terrain and then, you know, always having the wind at your advantage the best you can. Right. I mean, some days it's going to swirl and it's just going to be shitty and that's the way it is. Yep. But, you know, you're not going to, I'm a firm believer in, you know, everybody says, Man, you you gonna bump that deer out of the county? No, I'm just gonna bump that deer around a terrain feature, and he's gonna stop running because nothing's coming after him. Right. You know, you know most most of the time <clears throat> they're not just gonna run and run and run. Right. You're just gonna bump them away for a little bit, and you can get you can get back on them. I I I really believe that you're not bumping them forever, and so I don't mind if I bump a deer in the area. Yeah. Especially if you've got some, especially if you've got some acreage to play with, you know what I mean? Yeah. Right. It's, you know, cause I, I, you know, I think some, I think where some of that comes in for some folks when they're thinking of that stuff is that, you know, they're thinking of maybe like small agricultural parcels out in the Midwest or even like smaller private parcels in Pennsylvania or West Virginia or whatever. It's like, yeah, sure. You, you can't go around bumping a ton of deer if you only got a hundred acres. Cause you know, if he crosses, if he runs 200 yards, that might've been 150 yards across the neighbor's line or whatever the case is, right. you know? And I, and I understand that. Yeah, for sure. But if you're wanting to hunt on the ground, you need to go in knowing you're going to bump deer. Mm-hmm. If you're, if you're going to jump in that, in, in, in that water and start, start hunting from the ground, you need to know from the get go, you're going to bump deer. You're going to foul up. Right. You know, you're gonna make you're gonna make a lot of mistakes. Deer are smarter than us, <laughs> right? Most of the time, right? You know, and and, and uh, I've hunted small parcels, uh, but I've always been on the the mindset of the you know if I bump it and it goes across, it goes across. You know, um, there's other deer. Yeah, no, uh, I, I agree with that a hundred percent. I don't know if ground hunting is for the person wanting to kill a specific deer. You, you have to be an opportunist right. to be a ground hunter because there's going to be a lot of things happen because you're throwing yourself out there day after day and you're covering a lot more area mm-hmm. on the ground. Yeah. That's another, that's an advantage of hunting on the ground is, is learning more terrain and, and getting out there. And, you know, you're not the, to focus on a specific deer is probably not the, the, the right tactic. Right. Now, do you, do you most often, are you hunting for, as my one buddy Josh says, is uh, my other buddy Josh, yeah. <laughs> uh, that he he, he kind of refers to it as he, he hunts like a coyote. He's hunting for opportunity, not necessarily so much a specific deer. He will at times, but how do you kind of 
how do you kind of cut that? Do you hunt often just for straight opportunity? Do you ever, I know there was recently a hunt, uh, if I'm not mistaken that you did, and I don't remember if it was last year, or if it was this year that you were actually after a specific deer. This, this was the, in the, in the, this past season was the first year that I've hunted a specific deer. And, you know, it didn't work out in, in, to my advantage. Uh, but I'm glad that I did it. I won't ever do it again. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, but I hunted that deer hard and, and I learned a lot. Uh, and you know, I never set eyes on him. I, I set eyes on him in 2019. Um, but I never set eyes on him in 2020, but I had him within 60 yards of me probably a half a dozen times because I got him on a, uh, on a off trail camera. Right. And, you know, a cell camera, I'm sitting there in a tree and there, he, you know, <laughs> it goes off and there he is. And I said, well, he's over here. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, a couple of times I tried to get down out of the tree and, and go after him, but it's a little too crunchy. Right. Uh, but, Hunting a specific deer takes uh, a different type of hunter, and, and I commend all the guys that do it. Oh yeah, man. because it, it's a discipline um, that that I just don't have. Yeah, um, I, I I like to be able to go and if I get on a buck and I feel good about it, I go after him, I kill him. You know, it's it. Right. Uh, I like I like opportunity opportunity hunting. Yeah. Like your buddy says, you know, uh, I enjoyed hunting that specific deer. You know, it was a monster, um, but it just didn't work out. And it would probably take a whole lot for me to go through that again. Right. Yeah. All my time to that one deer. Yeah. I've done it once in the past and it, and it burned me where I had actually had that deer in my, actually, this is back on a family property. And I had watched this deer for two years and I had finally figured out how he was using the property. It, and I figured out he was bedded on the neighbors, you know, and I, I knew he was essentially coming through this one kind of pinch point. Cause he would show up in daylight early season. He would, he would disappear once you hit about eh, somewhere between October 15th and the 19th, he would just completely disappear. And if you did catch him, you would start to catch him on scrapes, but only at night. And that was it. And then he wouldn't show back up on the property again in daylight until like right after Christmas. And so I ended up setting up for him on this pinch right after Christmas. Actually, it was the day after because our late season comes in the day after Christmas. And on a whim, it was like, I think he's probably going to use this pinch point. Well, sure enough, he did. Only he came down too too far below the ridge for me to get a shot at him, right? And so I ended up hunting that deer three more days. And I saw him, I hunted four days for him and I saw him a total of three times, three different times, three different days I saw him. And every time he would just be 20 yards too far up the ridge, 20 yards too far down the ridge, you know what I mean? Just, just enough out of reach. And so I didn't kill him that year and I glassed him in the summer of the following year. And I told my father-in-law, I was like, I'm going to kill that deer opening day because I was watching the weather. I was like, man, we got a bluebird day, high pressure, cold front coming through. I was like, this is money. It's setting up for me. And so I went and I set up to to catch him there and he showed up with, but he was, was a, with a bachelor group and there was one deer that got down below my, my setup and caught just a whiff of me. 
didn't blow out. You know how they'll get stiff legged and just kind of back oh, up. Yeah. He stiff legged and backed up, and that deer I was trying to kill saw him and just read the tea leaves, and he just turned around. He was in a piece behind a piece of brush. I needed two more steps, and it was a twenty yard shot, and, uh, and that was it. I never saw him again, and my buddy killed him in gun season. You know, and so it was after that hunt where I was like, I spent the better part of like a year and the previous year chasing him, trying to figure him out. I was like, and that was actually when I started hunting public land was after that, because I knew for two years where that deer was at, I just couldn't go kill him. Right. You know, that's what, <coughs> excuse me. It, when you give up that much time and like the deer I was hunting got killed too. He got killed while I was in Missouri this year. <laughs> and, uh, so we, you know how after a deer gets killed, then all kinds oh, of Oh, man, pictures. everybody knows where he's at. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's like, oh, I had pictures of him here. Had pictures of him here. Well, you know, I was telling Zach uh, when we were talking about it, I was like, you know, I look at all the days, all the pictures that everybody sent me since the deer was killed. And the days that I was in the stand, that I was, it was a wasted hunt probably 65% of the time yeah. that I was there. Yeah. Yeah. And how, was, how many other it, bucks could you run into during that time? Right. Well, where I, I, I'm going to be completely honest with you, Clint. I mean, uh, where I was hunting, there not very mean deer. I mean, I, there was a stretch of nine days where I hunted hmm. and never saw a deer. Yeah. Uh, I know deer there, but right. Uh, you know, nine days, didn't see a deer. I mean, it's, it's, it's psychologically just deflate. Yeah. Oh yeah, man. I mean, that's the one part. I mean, cause the game. I definitely want to talk about the terrain and stuff you're hunting because you know, you're hunting big timber and we were talking a little bit offline before we started some areas that we, that we hunt or whatever. And there's a place that I hunt that you're yeah. familiar with and that's big timber, you know, and just rugged country. And I can, I, I feel your pain. You know, I think that particular area I've hunted a total of 17 days, not all in one season, like one year, I think it was 10 days straight. And then this past year I was in that general area and was there, I think it was there for seven and I, and all 17 of those hunts, these are all day hunts. Some of them I'm moving, some of them I'm still hunting, some of them sitting all day, dark to dark. I saw four deer in those 17 in those 17 hunts. Yeah. I mean, that, that, well, for one that says how committed you are, uh, or, or not, real, two, or not real bright. One or the other. <laughs> oh, no, I mean, I've been there. I right. Mean, um, but it is, it's hard to stay in the game when, when, when that's happening. I mean, in 2019, I, I said it was probably one of the coldest spells in Ohio, um, uh, for weather. And I had hung, I think we had hung for eight days straight, day like dark. I mean, hanging in our saddles and kind of bouncing around. Mm -hmm. And we saw a few deer in the distance and stuff, and we were hunting some ag. And then, like, it was either the eighth or ninth day that I had a 15-second wind at a, a, a mid-160s buck at 14 yards, and I blew it. Hmm. So I hunted those eight days of just terrible weather just draining for 15 seconds and i screwed it up and it's just like That's good it. god man yeah. it's just a terrible ride home yeah no, i hear uh, you man so i mean it's but that's part of it and 
but I like hunting. I, you know, where we hunt, it, it is tough. I mean, it's so big. Uh, all the habitat's the same. So it's patterning a, a buck where we hunt. I'm not saying it's impossible, but food sources and terrain when you get towards the Midwest. I mean, it was, Missouri was the first time I hunted out there this year. It was totally different than what I'm used to hunting. Yeah. Um, but a buck could be, you know, hunting the, the timber where we hunt, Clint. You know, you might hunt on the, uh, on a beautiful white oak point. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Today and see 15 deer in the exact same wind, same conditions, same pressures, and everything. You might not see a deer the next five days. Yeah. Uh, because the, they're just over on the other point. Right. You know, it, that's just what they do. Yeah. They're, they're so, the habitat's all the same, the food's all the same. There's nothing, and it's so vast. Yeah. They're almost nomadic, is what I've kind of said. That's what we, we, we say it all the time. The, where we hunt, the deer are nomadic. Yeah. It's like that spot that, we, you know, that we were talking about offline. Yeah. That's exactly how that place hunts. And it's, it'll drive, it'll drive a man crazy, you know, cause you could do all the scouting you want. I've spent days there walking and running ridges and, you know, they're not so much ridges as they are spine backs down there, but right, it's, you know, shed hunting, finding beds, you know, and it's just like, We've only ever found, you know, a handful of spots that, and I, when I say consistently, I, I use air quotes because it's not consistently compared to like what people would maybe experience around ag or whatever, that right. you'll consistently get deer, which means we've run enough trail cameras there over the course of the past several years that we've kind of found a couple spots that get frequented during very specific times of the year where right. it'll be like this four day window there's this six-year-old buck that, that has lived here for the past three years. He's going to hit that scrape between November 10th and the 14th. You know oh. what I mean? It's just, he'll do it at least once in daylight in that four-day window. You know what I mean? Yep. But other than that, there might not be a deer on a trail camera you have there the other 361 days out of the year. <laughs> it's pretty sporadic. Yeah. It's just, it's the, it's the craziest thing. The only thing... I'm curious, this is a question I wanted to ask you just with your experience in that country is, you know, what, what we've kind of found over time and we've run a ton of trail cameras down a buddy of mine that I hunt this general area with owns a trail camera company. And so we have okay. piles of them out. Right. Um, okay. and so he's, he's hunted it longer than I have. So he has mountains of trail camera data that he's looked at over years and correlating with like wind speeds and all kinds of stuff. I basically look at it and go, all right, this deer's in this area. Here's like the sign. Here's the terrain. Right? He goes a little, he goes a little, another level than me. Um, but what we've found over time, cause I used to be, you know, um, very, I, I would hunt, used to hunt very obvious terrain features. 
and and I got away from it, especially in high pressure areas like Pennsylvania, because those are going to attract people. And so I just kind of move away from them because I know people are going to be there. Right. When you get into these big kind of wood settings and you have to get back a mile and a half to wherever you're going or whatever, it's like some of those big terrain features that are really obvious. You usually pass by. It's like, you can still set up on those, like say like a big saddle or something like that. Right. But what I started seeing and, and what we saw with trail cameras was that you might get deer, even in the off the beaten path saddles, we might get some bucks if there's a scrape there hitting that scrape, but it's probably going to be at night. The only scrapes that we found any kind of success with and saw consistent deer movement was getting down in lower elevations, getting off the top third actually, and kind of finding benches that were running lower and that they were using those benches. And if you could find a couple benches that converged somewhere and kind of started tying ridges together, those were the spots that you wanted to focus on. That's wow. where we would see the movement. Do you see similar things or do you see something different where you're at? Uh, definitely the past two years that's been the case is that because uh, we, we hunt big timber, but then we also, we hunt a lot of reclaimed mine lands okay, yeah. in West Virginia. Uh, and this year with the mass crop that hit, you know, the deer, deer didn't hardly get up on top until rut mm. and they were chasing does in, in that open, not open country, but that brushy reclaimed mine country. Yeah. So there was hardly any deer on top and there was very few deer in the top third, like there normally is, but the bottom third to the half, you know, halfway up the mountain, old skid roads mm -hmm. where they've logged. And, and, you know, there's all kinds of uh, prospecting roads in southern West Virginia where they've gone through and prospected the coal seams. Uh, those roads is where we found all the deer the last two years. Hmm. Of course, I killed one on the ground up on top this year, but he was chasing. Right, right. Uh, but Kurt and several other guys that we hunt with in, in our group, all the deer that, that were killed or seen were way lower on the mountain than what we're all used to. Hmm. Um, and I don't, it's told me that I'm going to probably hunt lower than what I had before because I've always been the guy that hangs off, you know, either I'll be in a saddle. I'll be on a, uh, a finger point or, you know, I'll be right off the saddle on one, one side or the other, mm -hmm. trying to catch a couple of them coming through, you know, where they tie together. Mm -hmm. uh, because I, I always try to, <laughs> I always tried to stay up high because when you get down in the lower elevations down here in the mountains, hell, if it says it's an east wind or a southwest wind, <laughs> yeah. you know, you can take that and put it in a garbage bag and, <laughs> and you know, it's not going to be a southwest wind. Right. Yeah. You know, it's going to be a, it's going to be a north wind. That's going to then it might blow south and it might blow west or east. Yeah. Uh, it's going to sit there and swirl on you, you know, and that's just the way it is. And so it makes, makes it tougher to hunt for sure. Lower elevation. So I've always, tended to stay up high so I can stay above right. the changing winds. Yeah. 
Now, I, I typically have done the, uh, done the same. And this is the one spot. That's the one area where I've kind of had to throw, I don't want to say caution into the wind, but I've had to kind of risk it for the biscuit, so to speak yeah. <laughs> a little bit more, a little bit more often, you know, um, just because I knew I wasn't going to hunt and high just wasn't going to work. Now, you know, I say that I sit here and I say that, and there was one spot that I was hunting this year and it was the one saddle that I would hunt and actually don't even call it a saddle. So these two benches come together and kind of tie this ridge system together. Right. Every, yeah. every year there, there was one particular deer, um, that we've knew of for like, I want to say this is the third year we knew of this deer. And last year he, he hit it like clockwork. I was in Iowa last year, so I didn't hunt this spot this pat or the year prior in 2019. And, uh, that year he was probably mid one sixties. And so he's hit the same scrape in the same three day window for three years straight. Right. And so it was like, I was like this year, I'm going to be there. I'll be waiting for him. You know what I mean? That was like, and I'm, I'm going to kill him, you know? And, uh, and, uh, we got pictures of him and he hit that scrape early in the year, like he usually does. And then he, you know, should come back in November during that time frame that he's supposed to, I think it was like the 13th through the 16th. He likes to hit that. And this year he was probably, uh, he was borderline 180, probably yeah. like he was a true giant, you know, uh, yeah. and, uh, never showed. But the last day that I was there, it was all rainy. I was all set up and, uh, I got in and I didn't see any deer for like a couple of days. And then I got into my, my setup and it was super foggy. And all of a sudden I hear this, this deer blow around this Ridge. So it's like, I was in this kind of pinch where these two benches came together. And then there was a big kind of a big cut that kind of came around the side of this Ridge. Right. And then on the other side, there was like a big steep kind of Ridge point that goes up to where the logging trail was or the old logging road was that came down that Ridge. And that deer blew out of there and I'm like, man, there's no way she could smell me. There's so much fog. There's no way she could see me. My wind was solid. And then all of a sudden I heard a big grunt up on that Ridge. And so I immediately thought to myself, I was like, man, what crazy dude walked back here right beside me? Cause this place is like to get into that spot was like 1.8 miles. Yeah. Like who else is crazy enough to walk back here? I was like, I, they would have had to beat me in, you know, I was like, I, I can't believe that someone would have done that. Well, then the grunt moved and I was like, you got to be kidding me. And so I ended up having to get out to, to leave to end up driving back to Pennsylvania. And I jumped the bed of deer along that logging trail up top where I heard that grunt come from. So he might've been making his way. It was one of those, you know how, when you hear one of those grunts where you're like, yeah, that ain't, that ain't, that ain't, that ain't a young or a small deer. That ain't spot. <laughs> yeah. You know? And so I convinced myself it was a guy. And when I walked out, I jumped whatever it was and it was just, when he busted out of that brush, it was heavy hoofed and, uh, and loud. And, uh, I knew right then I probably screwed up. <laughs> I mean, everybody screws up though. Yeah. That's I truth. mean, it just, just sucks. Yeah. Especially a place the, like that where you put all that time in and you ain't going to see a lot of deer to begin with. And then, you know, that's probably one of the, those occasions that it does matter that you bump that deer. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Because of the 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 pressure within that area, mm-hmm. um, that deer probably got bumped, and he probably won't be back to that area. Yeah, yeah, because they're just so nomadic. It's like that yeah, was probably yeah. the one day he was going to be there in the next however many months, and that was it. That's right. I mean, you know that the the that specific deer I was hunting, uh, and I'll shoot you pictures of it when we get off. 
But I mean, he was just, you know, Boone and Crockett eight point. Yeah. Whew, dude. Uh, oh my goodness, dude. And, um, you know, I hunted, I hunted pretty much his, I don't know if I, you know, I was in his bedroom some days, mm-hmm. but I was in his house. You know, some days I, I probably wasn't in his bedroom. I was in his kitchen mm-hmm. or his family room or something. But, you know, after that deer got killed and I hadn't seen a whole lot of deer where I was hunting him. But once I figured out, uh, when he got killed, I still, I kept all my cameras up there in that area. And there was so many deer for a two week period. Really? Rolled in there up high. Bucks just, or just deer in general? No, no. Shooters. Shooters. Yeah. You know, Pope and Young, you know, shooters for me are de- depending on how I'm feeling that day are 120 inches and bigger. Yeah. I'm, I'm same. Yeah. You know, I, I can kill a hundred inch deer. I don't, you know, it really don't matter to me. Just, Depends on what I did that morning, you know. Yep. Um, but I mean, just, I mean, a couple big deer, you know, 150s, but they were just, that's one thing I didn't learn. I mean, I will hunt that area again next year because for a two week period, from like the 10th or 11th of November to like the right after Thanksgiving, I mean, there was just a constant flow of bucks running that ridge line and the two saddles that I hunted. Cause it was just the same ridge system. Mm-hmm. It's not even a ridge. It's kind of just a long point, yeah. but it had a couple of saddles in it. Mm-hmm. They were just running that point scent checking constantly all day long. And it, and it was like two weeks straight that there wasn't a day that went by that. I didn't get a camera, a deer on camera. Do you think, are you supposing that that guy just kept everyone run out of there? He was yeah. the king of the, I absolutely think that he did not let, let anybody around. Yeah, he he kept the does. There was like six does on that point. <laughs> he kept them crowd up, uh, and you know he would stay there. Now he he would leave if other does up on that area came into heat. But he was the first one. He would keep stay right there with those ones on that same on that same point system where I was hunting, uh, and he'd stay right with them most of the time. How big do you think? based on like your tramp, your, the trail cameras and stuff that you had out and everyone coming out of the woodwork saying, I saw that deer and could have killed him. You know, uh, how big do you think his area was his range? Maybe, uh, I think Zach and I talked about this and I drew a circle, a radius and he was probably as the crow flies down there, probably within a mile and a quarter. All the way around, which is really? huge. Jeez. How old was I mean, he? Did you guess? Uh, I had him since 16. I got him in 2016, and I found him while I was bear hunting, um, which is the greatest time scouting that you can find, hmm. you know, when you're hound hunting. I mean, you cover a lot of ground and right. find a lot of good stuff. Yeah. Um, and I, found, I, I, I ran across some sign. Uh, bear hunting and stuck a camera up and found him he and he was a um you know i i would suspect he was probably two or three years old so he's probably about seven then roughly yeah he was he was seven seven half years old i mean i thought last year in 2019 was like his big year because he was probably a 
160 inch mm-hmm. uh eight point but he was perfectly symmetrical just heavy and then i knew he lived because i saw him just a couple days i had it i had that deer killed that year and i saw him just a couple days before season went out in 19 and uh a, a, a big mature doe busted me oh man and um but then I was like, man, I wonder if he survived. So I put a bunch of cameras up there this summer. And I didn't got any pictures at all. August 23rd, I got my first picture. And I was like, holy shit. <laughs> I mean, just and in velvet. I mean, he just looked god awful. Oh, I was going to say, yeah, that puts the extra uh, mass on him. Even he's already heavy horned. So I, I started from that day forward. I said, hey, man, that's that's I'm, I'm, that's the only thing I'm going to concentrate on. Um, so, and that's what I did. And I got hundreds and hundreds of pictures of him this year, but I thought, I mean, he just blew up. I mean, I've heard a couple of different scores. I heard that he scored 177 or he scored 174. I mean, I know he's a, he's a, he's a God awful giant. Um, yeah. I heard he scored 169. I mean, there's not much difference in yeah. an, eight, an eight point that's 169 and eight point that's 174. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's just got awful big any way you cut that. You know what I mean? So, it's, uh, but it is what it is. I mean, he's, he was a stud. And, yeah. But I would say he was seven, seven and a half years old. Yeah. I think the one cool thing about, you know, at least for me, there was, you know, um, there was one deer in Iowa that I chased. Um, no, I went out there and freestyle hunted that whole, I was out there for two weeks and I, I didn't scout the piece. I hunted it at all. And I went out and just yeah. went out and figured it out. And I ended up missing like a mid one forties, eight point on like the sixth day that I was there. And I don't know, we're from a similar area of the country. So we're, we might be alike in this way. So after I missed him, I just, I got pissed off and I said, I'm going to go find him. And I'm going to kill him. <laughs> you know, so, um, and my buddy who lives out there, he was like, dude, he's like, you're crazy, man. He's like, it's the rut. He's like, you'll never see him again, you know? And sure enough, like two days later, I found him. And story goes, people heard me tell this story already on the podcast, but I missed him again at like, 28 crazy. yards. Yeah. I had four encounters with that deer. I found him four different times. Just kept like reading yeah. the sign, finding him. I ended up killing a deer on the last trip. Or I'm sorry, on the, on the last day of the hunt, I ended up killing a good buck on the last day. Okay. Um, but I say that to say chasing that one deer and kind of living with him in his world because he had me like I was in his world. It was, it was all, you know, (laughs) he was just stringing me along, you know? Um, It was like taking a master's class in hunting whitetails, watching a mature deer that was like four and a half, five years old, just do his thing, have that many close encounters with him to where I got to watch him some, watch him with some does, watch him by himself you know, and I learned so much from that one deer, even though it didn't turn out the way I wanted it to turn out. It's like, I still think back to that deer and I'm thankful that I had that chase with him because I was still playing checkers in my hunting and he was playing chess and he was the deer that actually taught me how to play chess in the whitetail woods. And I'm just curious for you chasing that deer, even though it didn't end the way you want, you know, and I'm the same way as you. It's like, I'm probably not going to chase another single deer again. Cause I just prefer to kind of go out and try to find something fun to, fun to hunt and fun to kill. But when you look back on it, is there anything specifically that you walk away with? And you're like, man, that deer taught me this lesson that you'll kind of take from here forward. <laughs> he taught me not to do what I did. 
Nice. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I really don't. I wish you mentioned your buddy that that has the cameras and he keeps the data and mm-hmm. pictures on in wind conditions, and and probably takes what what pressures are when the pictures are taken. Mm-hmm. You know, he's probably got if he's getting that type of data. I wish I would have done that mm. with this deer. Yeah, because I feel like. If I would have been keeping that data, because I mean, like I said, I have hundreds and hundreds of pictures of it, daylight, dark. Hmm. Uh, I wish I would have put certain wind conditions where he was at at times of the day and kept a log of that, because I think that me having that knowledge would have got me closer to killing that deer. Right. And then the other no, you know, the other thing is, is I hunted that deer till November 1st. And after that, you know, it's not like we're in the business, but like doing what we do with YouTube. I mean, we got to have content. Yeah. So I, I was committed to hunting that deer till November 1st. And I was like, man, after November 1st, you know, well, we got to get. It's hard to put. It, it, it's hard to have a video of me sitting in the, in a saddle for nine days not seeing a deer. Right. <laughs> that's a that's a that's a wasted nine days in my opinion of something happening. Yeah, Pete, you could probably do a short clip on that. Say, hey, Josh, sat for nine days, never saw a deer, but right, it's not good content. Right. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is, is you know, when you're committed to hunting that deer, I decommitted. November 1st, yep. November 3rd, I killed a deer on the ground. <laughs> well, you're only allowed one buck where we're hunting. Right. So that put me out of the game. Well, I think it was 13 days later that buck got killed because, you know, I was convinced um, that that deer was going to live until this year. Right. And I, I would have another opportunity uh, at him this year. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it, I probably won't won't hunt deer like that again. I mean, you know, I tried to go on that deer on the ground in the big timber. I mean, I hunt on the ground in timber too if, if the situation um, is right. I mean, if it if it's moist, if it's raining, the wind's right. I mean, I'm hunting on the ground. I'm not getting in elevated positions very much. I mean, yeah, I saw him twice on the ground in 19. <clears throat> couldn't close the deal. Um, but I don't know. I don't think I could have got any more aggressive than what I did because, you know, I felt like if I would have got any more aggressive that I wouldn't even had a chance to say that, Hey, I got him on a trail camera 60 yards from me because if I'd have went in a little bit further, I feel like I would have bumped him out because, you know, the terrain plays such a big part um, where I'm hunting. I mean, when I say I'm hunting on a, a ridge or a point, I mean, I'm hunting on, on something that's 10 yards wide. Right, yeah. It falls off the face of the earth on both sides. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know, uh, it, it's really steep terrain. It's not, it's, you know, the elevations aren't real high. Mm-hmm. compared to you know out west or anything but you know it's just 
straight up and down terrible terrain. And if you push over that edge too far, you're you're going to screw yourself with wind. Yeah. And it's just that's the flat facts. Yeah. Uh, so it's really hard to convince yourself to to go in there knowing you're probably going to screw up. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh <clears throat> that terrain is definitely um you have to have a high acceptance of failure. <laughs> yeah. To hunt hunt that area just that's the one thing that I kind of came with the the amount of years, you know, I've had the opportunity to hunt in that similar terrain. Um, which is why my buddy and I like to hunt together because we're the, we're the same. It's like we like to be aggressive. We like to move. And, you know, if I screw it up today, I'm just going to get back after it tomorrow and I'll figure, I'll, figure I'll figure it out, you know. Um, and if you don't have that, <clears throat> there's one of two types of people, in my opinion, that can hunt that terrain. You have to either have a high threshold for failure know that that's going to be a lot of it, right? Or you have to be really, really content sitting for 10 days in a spot. <laughs> you, right. you know what I mean? And not move because it's just either going out and finding it and just knowing you're going to screw it up or sitting there and waiting for it to come to you because it's a matter of time and deer will be there. It's just a matter of, are you there when they're there or not? That's right. You know, I tell everybody that, you know, I'm, I'm not the best deer hunter out there. Don't want to be, don't claim to be, but what I do is when it's deer season is I'm out there hunting every opportunity that I get, every chance that I have to be out there, I'm out there rain, snow, shine. Uh, I'm glassing, I'm doing something. Mm-hmm. And I think that that increase, the more opportunity you give yourself, you know, your odds are better at killing something. Yeah. hundred you know, percent. It, it's, it's more of a, uh, a work ethic than it is. I mean, yeah, you got to have some sort of skill set, but you also can't roll over in bed when the alarm clock goes off and go, man, I don't want to hunt today. Or, right. you know, I like, I like, I'm going to hug up to this warm leg for a couple more hours. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You got, you got to have the mindset that, you know, you're going to go. And then after two hours of daylight and you're not seeing a deer or nothing, and you know, you're, they're right there and you're not seeing it. And, it's that mindset of staying right there and staying behind the glass for two or three, four more hours yeah. and just sitting there and glassing instead of walking back to the truck and going to get a sausage biscuit. Yeah. Yeah. And coming back at evening, it's, it's that commitment of staying out there and, you know, whether you're, you, you just don't know when it's going to happen. Yeah. And if you ain't there, then it definitely ain't going to happen. I mean, how many times do you hear, you know, when, guys are out on these trips or their home state or their backyard or whatever it is that it's like nothing was happening. And all of a sudden it's like at the snap of a finger, it's like, yeah, it all happened, you know? And it was three weeks of hunting in 10 seconds of insanity. You know, it's like you you hear it all the time. And that's one of the things that kind of, I guess more further kind of instilled that in me. Cause I like to, I like to grind. I like to get after it. I like to move. You know, but it was really taking that trip to Iowa because that was a solo trip. It was me by myself for 16 days. So I didn't have anything else to do but get up and hunt every day from dark to dark and didn't know the area. So I just moved around a lot. And then it was the same thing this year in Missouri um, where it's like when you went out, you were just out 
and you were just moving from place to place to place trying to figure out because the whole Missouri hunt was a freelance hunt this year too. So it was just like, and I sometimes feel, I was talking to a buddy of mine about this who I have a lot of respect for as a hunter. And he's like, he's kind of making fun of me. He's like, man, he's like, you get on way more deer out of state when you don't know what the hell you're doing or what you're walking into. He's like, then you do like, you know, in the, yeah, in your own backyard, you know? And I was like, I know. I was like, I don't know what it is. And he's like, he's like, I think you outthink yourself too much. He's like, you're probably overthinking it when you let, when, when, when you're home. Yeah, exactly. Cause he's like, dude, we went to that uh, Missouri and we hunted three different pieces of public. All were an hour and a half away from each other. And they were, the one spot was this big river bottom and we hunted it for two and a half days. And I saw like three good bucks that I would have shot the second day when I was on the ground actually, because every tree in that spot had poison all over it. So I couldn't climb any of them. So I was on the ground behind some brush. And then we left and went about an hour and a half West uh, because of some pressure rolled into that spot. And this was all big when I say big, not big, but like for that area, just rolling ridges and just some of the most beautiful country you'd ever see. And the second day I had, uh, two bucks. One was a shooter. Um, and they were just about 20 yards out of range. And I just couldn't get a shot. Came, came in with a doe pressure rolled in, left that spot was at a new place. And the second day I, I, I got about got run over on the ground. I was still hunting, got run. I won probably about a one fifty ran right at me on a doe. I could have reached out and rodeoed him if I would have had the time to think about it. And then I actually still hunted back to him. Kind of what you were talking about. He didn't bump that far on that doe. Like he was just chased that doe to that next finger of timber. Right. So we still hunted over to there and then got to about 40 yards and we both saw each other at the same time and he was out. And I set up the next morning in between um, a cedar thicket, ended up hitting one and ended up losing it or whatever, like whatever it was, seven thirty, eight o'clock in the morning. And, uh, but that was three pieces of public, three shot opportunities. And I never knew a stitch of anything. You couldn't run cameras on any of that property or anything like that. And just hunting super free. Do you kind of get that same feeling? Like whenever you're just kind of out there on the, just being a predator, you know, that's the only thing I can kind of equate it to. It's like, you're just, you're truly hunting for the next opportunity. Well, I did not. I mean, we were in Missouri too this year and it it was the first time for me hunting, you know, the Midwest. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I really struggled. um, Cause I felt like that I, was opposite of you. I was overthinking the new area hmm. rather than just doing what I do back here. Cause I really think that hunting white tails is a lot harder in the mountain bucks in Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Virginia. Agree. I, I, I think it's way, way tougher to kill a mature buck here than it is mm-hmm. in other areas of the country. Yep. Totally agree. And I'm not taking anything away from anybody, but, I went out there and hunted my tail off, um, and I didn't find the deer until the evening of the fifth day. But once I found the deer, mm-hmm. I was in the deer. Right. Yep. But then my last two days out there, it was 40 and 50 mile an hour winds, and it, and it got up to 70, 75 degrees. Yep. And we ended up coming home. Now, do I feel like I can go back to that area on public this fall? Yeah. I think it was that type of spot yeah. that I'll be back in the deer the first day. Yeah. Uh, Kirk, Kirk 
found deer um the the uh first first day he was there but you know he took a a, a real risk by you know crossing the river um which you know could have been good or bad when <laughs> he crossed but right you know, the risk was worth the reward because he was in bucks but yep. he couldn't my opinion i think that the the thermals out there and the wind is what kept on fouling him up because he he couldn't get a handle on it mm-hmm. and i honestly think that's it fouled me up too first couple of days because i mean I, I was in some areas that i felt like were just natural funnels and the, and the deer sign the and i'm not talking about rubs or scrapes i'm talking about this travel sign uh it was there mm-hmm. but i didn't see any deer i mean i saw a couple of does right uh, but I didn't see deer like I was expecting to see. Right. I think it was because of uh, the rolling hills. It, it was a little bit, a little different than what I'm used to hunting. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just, I don't know. I, I didn't do any good out there. I mean, I feel like I learned a lot. Right. But it's, it, it is, I think I over overthought it too much because it should be much easier hunting right i mean whitetail hunting for mature deer is not going to be easy anywhere you go right i'm not i'm not discounting that yeah um, but it's definitely different out there yeah i mean it's it's <clears throat> you know they only have but so many places to be out there because of how everything's broken up you know what i mean even if you're on a decent sized chunk there's agriculture here this is tillable land here there's a finger of timber here there's a body of water here it's like they've only got but so many places they can be and you're right like the the wind is different like the hardest part for me and i had a little bit of uh i guess a training if you will prior because a lot of the what i i I live in eastern pa i grew up in western pa so it's like i grew up hunting hills and stuff like that now i live in eastern pa where it's a lot of what i hunt is swamps you know right. near bodies of water flat you know and so you know it but it's still hard for me like i still prefer that mountain in that terrain because it, i understand and i can see how deer will move and use it you know and the hardest part for me going out to places like the first spot where you're at like it took me a hot minute to figure it out because it was just this big river bottom was just you hit there's one small ridge and when you come down off of that most of that ground was just flat to the river and that was yeah. it, you know, and so trying to look at it and figure out where the hell anything was going to be. It's like you almost have to hunt it like you're hunting a swamp where it's like you're really just looking for edges and allowing those to almost be your terrain features and, and stuff like that. You know what I mean? And that was yeah. that was kind of how I figured it out. And then I found a, something that felt familiar, which was I found like an old logging road that they had cut in. There wasn't a logging road. It was actually an access road to get equipment in, I think, to to some of those bean fields that were around there. And when I found that, I found a bunch of scrapes with a bunch of side cover. And then I was like, Yahtzee, here we go. I was like, this feels for me. I know how to hunt this, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that was when we found, we started finding deer and stuff like that. But you're right, man. It's like when you go to places like that, that is just completely different from mountain terrain. It takes a minute just for your brain to flip to understand like what your approach needs to be, you know? Um, yeah, I- I had looked on, uh, I was looking on, you know, my phone and the last couple of days I'd, I'd found some transition lines, mm-hmm. um, between the, the terrain 
and I offset of the, I stayed offset of those probably one morning I went in blind to a transition line on the on this point and I saw the most deer I saw that morning uh, and I stayed about 50 yards off of that transition line where it where the transition kind of fed up over a, a ridge mm-hmm. and I stayed below the ridge and of course you're talking about a ridge the only difference in elevation between the ridge and the river and the creek bottom is maybe a hundred feet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's pretty, bad. but I, I, you know, I, I, I got midway between the creek bottom and, the, and that, and that transition line, all it was, was a thick, it was old clear cut. Mm-hmm. And, but those deer fed, you know, funneled through between that thicket and the creek bottom. And, uh, I was like, man, we're, we got into the deer and then I, I moved a little bit further midday and that was the evening that I found the big sign that I wanted to end up jumping a big shooter. Cause I was hunting on the ground that evening. Right. Just to move. And, and, and like you said, just continuously just trying to learn. And, and it got to a point in the hunt where I was like, man, we've got to make something happen. So I'm being ultra aggressive. And, uh, and I bumped a big buck that evening right. and I was like, man, I'm in them now. Right. And then, you know, the weather didn't work out. It is what it is. I mean, that's hunting. It, you know, yeah. it's not called killing. Yes. <laughs> Ain't that the yeah. truth? <laughs> yeah. It, so it was, uh, it was a definitely a learning experience. Uh, where we were hunting in Missouri, they were like, I, I, I had this picture in my head, Clint, going out to Missouri, uh, uh, of kind of like where I've hunted in Western Ohio, you know, mm-hmm. kind of having the ag, the windrows of trees, the hedgerows some timber some you know but where we hunted in in missouri it was it was all big timber mm-hmm. it was nothing but river bottoms creek bottoms and timber there was no ag mm-hmm. at all okay none around us i mean i dro- the like the the day we got out there wasn't uh it season was in but i drove around because we were bow hunting during gun season okay all right so you guys were out there that would have been like what the second week in november the 14th through the 21st. 14th. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That was, I left like, I think the 14th, I want to say I left or the, or the eighth, maybe I left Missouri. Well, that, that's, I feel like that was another, I feel like we were six to 10 days late. Yeah. Uh, but I drove all around where the, that public we were going to be hunting and found nothing but pasture fields and cows there was no ag it was just all pasture yeah so there was no ag whatsoever so it, it it was just it was nothing but big timber so i was a little bit taken back by that also that you couldn't kind of key in yeah um and i hadn't done a lot of e-scouting i'd looked at it and i picked a couple areas when we first got there i, I ran through and did some speed scouting um so it was a, it was a, definitely a great learning experience. Yeah. Uh, I feel like, uh, I'll have success out there cause we're, I'm definitely going to go back. I, I enjoyed it. Oh, for sure. You know, and I, and I might even go back to that same area. Uh, but it, it you know, when you get in doing what we do and you podcasting and doing videos and you, and you, you meet the, you know, we became good buddies with the guys at THP and they're, you know, they're just a, they're just a freaking huge help yeah, on, and, a, and a wealth of information. Yeah. You know, 
so that those guys, you know, with, with the help that they can give, I mean, that I wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah. I mean, I feel real confident about going out there. Um, and then hopefully drive my draw. I will permit here in a couple of years. There you go. That's what I like um, to hear. It's a, yeah. it's, I, I, uh, next year for me, I think is, um, is Kansas next year. So that's why I'm really trying to brush up on my ground game. Cause yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a lot of ground game out there. Um, and then I should, I think I have, I'll get a point this year and I should be able to draw Iowa again in like another year after this. So like 2022, I think I'll be able to draw Iowa again. But now Kansas is over the counter, correct? Yeah. I mean, last year, I think anyone who wanted one got one, you know, they say right. if you have a point, you're pretty much right. guaranteed to get it. So I just, I knew I wanted to go this year cause I was doing Missouri last year. So I just bought a point last year. So I knew for sure I'd be able to go. So, right. yeah, but I'm not sure where I'm going to go yet. I've still been e-scouting. It's up in the air whether or not I, I was hoping to maybe go out and do a turkey hunt so I could do, you know, do a turkey hunt and scout this spring. But it may be another one of those flying blind kind of deals where I just go out and figure it out. See, I, I, I mean, I listen to, to several podcasts and, uh, and there's a lot of good information on e-scouting. But I think it's. It's deceiving e-scouting is mm-hmm. because you don't know if there's been loggers in there. You don't know if it's been clear cutted. You don't know. I mean, so you might, you know, you're running into a place and you're forever on a, on, I like, what I'm saying is I like what you, I like going into an area blind and just figuring it out. Yeah. I like to see the contour lines, mm-hmm. but I, I, I don't like putting it on satellite. Mm-hmm. Seeing the train, I mean, seeing the because it could the, be different, man. Because once you get out there, you're like, man, this this wasn't a pond. This was <laughs> this hedgerow wasn't here was before. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, man. Exactly. Well, that's you the know, one thing you know I like about. Uh, I think it's Ohio. Like some some of the places I've been, because I forget what it's called, but the state has to manage state land for profit, and yep. so they'll be they'll be cutting. You know what I mean? And so. There's a couple of different places that I've hunted out there that actually they do a really good job of updating their map on their on their website for what's being cut and when, especially in big timber. I mean, that's what I'll focus on is just where are the new cuts at that are roughly two years old, map those out. And if it's a brand new one, like last year, the one spot, there was a brand new cut. We hung some cameras, got some decent deer on it, but we knew this wasn't the year for it. It's going to be oh, next year. In the, yeah, exactly. The next year and the year yeah. after, it's going to be prime. And so... Yeah. We just kind of map those out as well and just follow those cuts around, you know, anytime there's a new cut. And, you know, if you if there's an agency that's doing a good job of keeping updated with their maps, it can be a really good plan, especially for out-of-state hunting, and just kind of follow those. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But. That, and it, that's a tough area to hunt, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a lot of what I hunt. Yeah. Well, that's why I was I was stoked to have you on, man. Well, not only because you're you from West Virginia, and I, I grew up close to West Virginia. <laughs> I didn't live that, far that, from there. That was uh, that that type of hunting. I mean, uh, and I I hunt east of there, mm-hmm. and it it's a little bit more open, like it is 
where we hunt in West Virginia and where I can, I, I, I really like glassing. I was going to ask you, man, like, because you hunt so much from the ground, I think one of the things that imit- uh, intimidates me the most about ground hunting, especially where I live in Pennsylvania, is there's not a lot of wide open space. And when I think of ground hunting, I think of like Kansas and, you know, stuff like that where I can glass something up and then go make a move. How are you? That's one aspect of it. Right. But how are you doing that in the timber, man? That's the part that gets me is like. A a lower power bino and going extremely slow. Yeah. (laughs) Um, You know, you're glassing, you're glassing from point to point. Right. You know, because you're going to be in the timber. That's that's the time that you are going to be off the top and you're on an old skid road or prospect road or. And you're glassing down and up and, you know, I always, when you go around a point and then, you know, you always have that bowl between your points and where it's so steep, where we're hunting, it's actually an advantage to hunt on the ground in the timber Hmm. because where it's so steep, you can, you can glass a lot if you come around a point and you you can glass pretty much that whole bowl before you move on to the next point. Right. And if you see something, then you, you know a lot of times the deer are just moving, and and you're you're kind of going to play ambush, or hopefully they're coming coming across you some way. But right. Uh. But it, I talk to people all the time about hunting in in the woods, and it and it all you just have to slow down. Um, you know, that's, that's the main thing. And then not get lazy because once you get lazy and say, man, I haven't seen a deer all day and you take that hard step (laughs) and, you know, and you've been, you can ruin everything that you've done for the past four or five hours of going slow and taking your time and seeing a few deer and take a bad step. And there goes your opportunity. You just jumped one out of bed Yeah, because, you know, your your mentality broke down. Right. Uh, I like it because you can cover a lot of ground. You can get aggressive, and and I'm a I'm a jittery person anyway. I'm pretty well high wired most right. of the time, naturally, and uh, just just the way I'm I'm made is I like to move and learn. Uh, and hunting on the ground, you just you. I mean you. There is no other way to learn except boots on the ground. Yeah. I, uh, I think the one thing too is, is I think the, with the ground hunting, you know, and, and I, I'm not necessarily ground hunting per se. A few times this year, I had a big deer that I was hunting in Pennsylvania, hunted him from the ground, never got, ended up getting on him, <clears throat> actually kicked him out of his bed, like right at the beginning of the season. And then there's one of those things where I wasn't going to get hung up on him. I just moved on to like, I'll go find some yeah. more deer, you know? Um, but what it does or what it's helped me do just being aggressive and moving at least even not even ground hunting, but just moving and being aggressive is understanding where the deer are at, where the sign is being laid down now. So I think a lot of people get hung up on trying to use his story. I mean, I love to scout and I'll scout all winter long up into the season. And you know, if I find a new piece, I'll scout it during the summer. It's like, I'm not one of those guys that just stops scouting at a certain point. If I can get out and scout, I will check cameras or whatever. But a lot of folks will hunt sign where they saw this last October here or this, you know, rub line here during this time of the year. And when you see that, maybe you saw it postseason scout. It's like you don't know when that was made. 
you know, and if you're banking on going back to that spot to hunt it and you're not sure if it was laid down in October or November, you might be three weeks late. Or you might be a year late. You could, it could be a year late. Yeah. You might be, you might be hunting a ghost. Yeah. Uh, that's why, I mean, one, I don't have a whole lot of time. You know, time is, um, critical for scouting. I don't do a lot of, sc- I mean, I glass because mm-hmm. I enjoy the glass. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hunting for now. Right. You know, if I'm in the woods, I, I, I scout while I'm hunting. Yeah. Because I think that's the only real time information you can get for right then. Like, I, I don't want to waste my time hunting three day, four day old sign. Right. Yeah. Exactly. You know, I want to, I want to, I want to find deer that I'm going to hunt today, this evening. Yeah. You know, that makes sense. You know, I mean, does that, I mean, I don't know if that makes sense or not. No, it, t- it totally does, man. Um, cause I mean, that's, and plus I'm moving all the time. You know, I don't know. I'd hate to find a rub that's a week old and the deer's already been killed. <laughs> and I don't know, you know, it's just another waste of time and time is something that, all of us don't have a lot of yeah, and, it, and it, you don't get it back. It's the it's our most precious commodity. Yeah, as I say, you know what I mean. But speaking of time, man, I know I've kept you here for a little over an hour, like an hour and fifteen minutes. I want to be sensitive I, to your time. Oh, um, I should BS with you for everybody, buddy. We're gonna do it again then, because you 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 made a quote, and I think it's just, uh, I think it was the appropriate kind of thing to end on, just based on this conversation and just maybe where people's mindsets are at just in general in the world. And it was, you said I'm hunting for now. And I think if people just did that when they're hunting, hunting for now, but also apply that to how they live and that they just live for now, you oh, know, yeah. I think there's a lot of wisdom in, in those three words you mentioned, man. And so I think that's a perfect place to shut her down. What do you well, think? Dude, I appreciate you having me on, man. I enjoyed it. We'll have to do it again. Hell yeah, man. We're definitely going to do it again. Before I let you get out of here, let everyone know where they can find out more about you, where they can find out more about The Untamed and what you guys got going on. Uh, you can check us out on theuntamedhunt.com. Find us on YouTube at The Untamed and The Untamed at Facebook and Instagram. Awesome. Check those guys out. Thank you, brother. I appreciate you. All right, man. Thank you. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. If you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and be sure to subscribe to the podcast in hell. While you're at it, head over to YouTube and give us a sub there as well. I'd be super appreciative if you do those couple things for me. And before I shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tethered, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Skull Brew Coffee Company, and Maven Optics. And until next time, We'll see y'all. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do hard shit hat for those of us who like to embrace microdosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear. 
brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern, presented by Abyss Battery. Waypoint TV.